Today on We Here, it's almost July 4th. We'll dive into our favorite celebrities who always remind us of summer. We'll talk to former RuPaul's Drag Race contestant, Ms. Cracker, about the new All-Star season. And the Page Six Vault is back for the special summer episode. And it's all about Pamela Anderson. Coming up next on We Here. Oh my God. We're on Page Six? No. Uh-huh. No. Yeah. Another divorce splashed across Page Six. Page Six would have a field day. Hey there, I'm Maggie Coglin. And I'm Ian Moore, and welcome to We Hear, a Page Six podcast. We hear all the celebrity dirt from our exclusive sources, and you hear the story behind the story. I cannot believe it, but summer is here. It's official. It's hot outside. I want to go to barbecues. I want to hear music playing in the streets. I want to run in a sprinkler. You know, all those summertime feelings are popping up. Yeah, there's a weird thing going on because of the coronavirus. Last summer, corona just meant what you were going to bring to the beach when you met your friends. And this summer, it means why we can't really go to the beach. Exactly. But it's a strange thing because it feels summery and then you're at home, but you're working. So there's this weird thing where once in a while, deep inside my brain, I think like, oh, like I'm I'm about to be on vacation or there's something, some vacation Mm. going on or being off, but there is no time off. There is no vacation. So it's like, it's a weird summer situation because I'm like the, all all the ambiance is there, but like none of the actual summering is going Mm. on. I think this is what Lana Del Rey was talking about when she wrote Summertime Sadness. Yeah. Was it Lana Del Rey or Kierkegaard? (laughs) Who said? <laughs> I think we've entered the Kierkegaard segment of the show. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Yeah, I did go to the beach last weekend, though, I do have to say. So that, that was a summary thing. But when you think about summer, Maggie, since we cover gossip and entertainment, are there any stars, any people who you think of just when you think of summer? What celebrities make you think of summer? Who are the summeriest celebrities, the summeriest celebs? (laughs) Well, it's funny you ask me the summeriest celebs because there is one page six story that I think about every summer because it's kind of like the perfect combination of a very high profile celebrity in the Hamptons and a very low profile a very low profile snack which is frozen yogurt do you remember the story we did about rihanna in the hamptons trying to get into the froyo place how could i forget is this the one where rihanna i don't want to ruin the ruin the twist but she basically i remember it very well she did a she did an unusual move but it makes sense for rihanna in a bid to get some frozen yogurt. And what was the name of the place is a funny name too. It's in the name of the place is Buddha Berry. This story is from 2015. And I think about it all the time. I think about it like an ex-boyfriend. It just like pops into my mind while I'm staring off into the distance. Like this story is so good. Basically July 21st, 2015, not even Rihanna putting on her full sex can act could persuade popular Hamptons Froyo spot, Budaberry, to reopen its doors. Apparently, she arrived just before 11 p.m. as the team at this spot was packing up, and she was caressing the front door with her body in an attempt to seduce them into opening 
the shop for her. But sadly for Rihanna, the machines were off and the toppings were away. Caressing the front door, so basically just smushing her <laughs> loins against the glass. Maybe she was doing her best, like, Frodo machine impression, just twisting. And, twisting. and they didn't open up for her? Nope. The machines were off, and You can't make Frodo in an oh, instant. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, it's kind of funny, though, because I remember I never had um, I never had a sort of after-school job at an ice cream place, but um, one of my friends in high school did, and I used to go downstairs. Um, it was an ice cream place on Atlantic Avenue, which mm. was called La Coupe de Glace. Wow. No longer there. Don't look for it. It's like when uh, Rob Reiner says in the beginning of Spinal Tap that the first time he saw them live was at a club called the Electric Banana. And he says, don't look for it. It's not there anymore. <laughs> like so many of my references and my old haunts, they've all shut down, Maggie, from La Coupe de Gloss to the Beatrice Inn. Well, um, n- now Rihanna has come a long way in the past five years, and she's back in the Hamptons this summer renting a – I don't even want to call it a house. It's its an expanse. She's renting quite the estate in North Sea for $415,000. Wow. She could install her own Froyo machine in there. Five bedrooms, six and a half bathrooms. It's been on the market for $10.9 million. 8,000 square feet, two-acre peninsula, pool, private dock, boat, jet skis, Froyo, in the past. So Maggie, one of my favorite page six items of all time, a page six summer item, I don't know if it rivals Rihanna, but it's pretty good. And it it's it's well before our time. This is just when I was a page six reader. Some more crazy stuff going on in the Hamptons. Page Six reported that a high-class brothel had been quietly set up behind a storefront on Main Street in Southampton. What yeah. storefront do we know? Exactly. I bet it was where – well, I think Buda Berry's in Sag Harbor, so I don't <laughs> think it was where Buda, the, the future home of Buda Berry. But cops told Page Six that this, uh, this brothel came out of nowhere – and neighbors and passersby started complaining loudly. One disgusted citizen, according to the item, told page six, I've seen men coming out of the place at seven in the morning, and there are always big cars illegally parked outside after midnight. Some of them have tickets on the windshields, but the police don't seem to be asking just what they are doing there at that hour. Now, there were rumors at the time that this Den of iniquity had been set up by an Upper East Side madam who wanted to give her staff a change of scenery (laughs) and a shot at some summer business in the Hamptons with all the money floating around out there. And of course, Southampton is pretty fancy. Apparently, change of scenery sometimes. Exactly. And this change of scenery included a mock cellar with enough bondage and discipline equipment to fit out a gym. You know, that could come in handy at this point in time. When I think of summer, though, I my mind harkens back to kind of a different era of celebrity. So like my top sort of when I think of 
the summeriest celebrities. I'm thinking of Van Halen, the whole band of Van Halen, and maybe even Sammy Hagar. You're thinking about a time in which summer meant something different because now summer to us as adults is just a change in temperature, perhaps a vacation. You're hearkening back to a time when you didn't have to go to school. That's exactly right. I'm thinking of that. You're right, Maggie. It's like when I think of summer, I think of the Peach Pit, Jason Priestley, wow, Heather Locklear. It is true. I guess part of it is that my okay. So I personally equate the summer with the eighties. Mm-hmm. The 80s to me was the summeriest. It was like, forget the summer of love. You know, like risky business, sort of Ray-Bans. It was like the era of like the teen. Weekend at Bernie's. We get a Bernie's, but also we're like Porky's. I don't know. There are also some celebrities, Maggie, who have tried to position themselves as summery and I think have failed. Like, for, for example, the biggest summer failure in my mind is Will Smith. Because of why? Well, of he had what? that summertime, <laughs> right? He had summertime, which well, tried well, to be like a few bars. Summer, summer, summertime, summertime. Time so- to sit back and on why sit back and on why. Hmm. <laughs> I don't think that song was that bad. I thought that was kind of like a low key pop. What? I thought that was kind of a low-key bop. I don't think that song was that bad. When I did it? Oh, come on. Well, first of all, the hook isn't bad. But then, like, when he's, he's like, here it is. Oh, hey. It's, it's like, Will Smith. Summary. Get the – but uh, – This was then, a man who said he didn't have to curse in his songs to sell records. Corn is his brand. But then he also had – Will Smith also tried to have a summer anthem with that Welcome to Miami song, which was sort of terrible. I don't know if it was commissioned by the – Miami tourism board, but it was also terrible. And Will Smith to me isn't summary at all. I mean, he's from Philadelphia. To me, Philadelphia is one of the most unsummary cities I can think of. It's like it's a gray, cold place where you weld stuff. An unexpected summer fixture is Colin Jost, who is in the Hamptons, and we just ran some photos of him surfing. And this man is unexpectedly buff. He, he is been hiding behind that weekend update desk. I had no idea. I felt I, I totally have a question though. Was it buff or was it just like he didn't have extreme dad bod? Look who he's up against on SNL. Who else is like popping off with Right. I don't know if Michael Che, his partner on Weekend Update, is like has but then again he's marrying Scarlett Johansson. So maybe he's taking this time in quarantine to so have to like get that body together. Because you can't be sleeping with Black Widow and then be all dad bod. Right. But anytime I see anyone, this was like the the Camille Nanjiani thing where it's like, wait, like when did this happen? You're not like an action hero, although Camille will be one. It's always surprising because when I think of people who are really ripped, I think of the Hemsworths, I think of like, I don't know, The Rock, like people who you see in action films. These are just like, Colin Jost is talking about the news and making jokes about it. Right. There's no reason for him to really be in shape, although except Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. And then he's obviously living this Hollywood lifestyle now that's, I think, on a different level than most of the SNL stars. Totally. Where I mean, he's become kind of a little more of a. If Pete Davidson is listening, 
this could be great for Staten Island. Colin Jost is from Staten Island. He is? Yeah. Man, there's a lot going on on Staten Island. Don't tell Dave Chappelle. Today we are joined by Ms. Cracker, a legendary American drag queen from RuPaul's Drag Race, who you can catch on television competing in All Stars. Welcome. Hello! She's a woman! <laughs> Ms. Cracker, what are you doing in quarantine? Well, uh, for a long time I was building little model houses out of popsicle sticks and hot glue. Um, but then I started realizing that was a little too uh, like the movie Hereditary for me. So... <laughs> I actually found a way to reconnect with drag because I've been running all over the world, touring with my show, American Woman, and I just got in this mode where I was sort of punching the clock and just doing drag automatically. And mm. now that everything's slowed down, I've gotten a chance to love it and appreciate it again and actually do it for its own sake. And that has been probably the most powerful part of quarantine for me. And where are you quarantining? I am quarantining in New York City, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that New York City has turned into a battleground right now. And with everything that's going on, this time that I'm going through is obviously wonderful, and I obviously want to celebrate All-Stars, but I do want to say that any power, any platform I get from All-Stars, I want to use to support the change that Black Lives Matter is trying to make. And so this is a sweet moment, but it's a bittersweet moment too. And it's like not about achievement. It's about hopefulness for what's coming. Yeah. And you have a history of, of activism yourself, right? In terms of LGBT causes and... Yeah. I mean, I, I think the thing that I think of most is when I was just starting drag, my drag mother, Bob the Drag Queen told me that every time she got on a subway car, every single head turned to her because she was in drag. And she was like, well, if I'm going to have everyone's attention, I may as well use it to say something important. And she always taught me that that kind of like activism was as much a part of drag as lashes and heels, if not more. That's amazing. You know, I actually wanted to ask you because you mentioned the term drag mother. And for those who aren't drag aficionados, can you talk about what a drag mother is and how that, how does that process work? Is it like an official thing where you're like, are you my drag mother? I mean, it, it happens in so many ways. And that's what's wonderful about queer generations and queer relationships is that they are so diverse and so loose and changeable and in that way, kind of magical. But a drag mother is just the person that guides you when you are a baby queen, a brand new queen, into the first steps of becoming a mother queen yourself. And that can be someone that says, hey, you know, I want to be your drag mother. Or it could be someone that you approach and you're like, will you adopt me? You know, I, I need foster <laughs> care. <laughs> <laughs> right. So are you at a point in your career where you're going to take on some children of your own to become their drag mother? Yeah, first of all, absolutely. I have a lot of drag daughters, including Miss Cookie, who you saw on season 10, perhaps, when I did a mm -hmm. transformation for her yes. um, in a transformation challenge. But I also have my beautiful, optimistic, and kind-hearted daughter, Juicy Lou, here in the, the city. 
And that was a person that I saw sitting in the crowd at one of my shows. I was like, there's someone who needs a drag mother <laughs> because uh, <laughs> we need a little powder here, a little powder there. And we have, we're on our way. So she was like a drag yeah. orphan just wandering. Yeah, she was a street. drag wandering. Yeah. So uh, there was, there was that, but in the way I'd like to be a mother to like as many as I can, because I have my tutorials on wow, where I show anybody who wants to watch for free, how you can style a wig, how you can um, begin to get into the philosophy of doing drag. So I'd like to think that I'm a little bit of a mother to all the viewers of that. You know, you mm. mentioned, I want to ask you this because you mentioned the Jew-torials and I know you also have had a show called Review with a Jew, I think. Um, Review with the Jew, yes. Exactly. That's the proper way to say it. So I want <laughs> to ask you something like, I remember when I was a kid, I had a book. I don't know. I probably got it from like my Aunt Hilda or something as a Hanukkah gift or when it was called right. uh, Jewish Sports Legends or something. And it was like yes. a very thin tome. There, there weren't right. a lot. But in terms of the... <laughs> dr- <laughs> it was a brochure. <laughs> it, was, it was a pamphlet. But in terms of the drag world... Are there what what is like the Jewish heritage of drag? Are you is are you an anomaly as a Jewish drag queen? Are there lots of Jewish drag queens out there? I don't know the answer to this. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Jewish drag queens out there, and um, like there's Jinx Monsoon, who is the winner mm-hmm. of her season. There's Alexis Michelle. Um, Sasha Velour is Jewish. Mm. So there's a lot of prominent Jewish drag queens. But I'd like to think that I infolded my Jewishness into my drag in a completely different way. Because a lot of queens were like, hello, I'm Jewish. And I was like, hello, I'm Jewish. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It's like total like Shebrew. I just made that up. but anyway. Shebrew. Yeah. It's just like. <laughs> The thing is that I didn't even do it on purpose. It's just something that poured out of me while I was filming season 10. And then when mm-hmm. I was watching it, I realized like, wow, this is a huge part of who I am, even though I didn't mm-hmm. recognize it. Hmm. What is the most Jewish thing about your drag? I think the most Jewish thing about my drag is the fact that I like to examine and pick everything apart. I don't take mm-hmm. anything for granted. And that's kind of what Jewish, that's kind of what Review with a Jew is about. It's kind of like the Rashi for Drag Race which is those like footnotes in uh, the Torah that help people understand what's going on behind the text. You know what I mean? Um, So, and that, that's where the jokes come from too, is like me not taking anything for granted. Me saying, okay, I see how it is, but can we twist it and make it funny? Mm. And that's, huge part of being Jewish. It's a huge part of the way Jews survive in the world. And it's a huge part of how I survive in the world. Mm. And I would like to connect you to my mother. You can just call her directly and tell her my hair is not so bad. <laughs> it's not so bad. And remember that we suffered. So yes. And I'm suffering now exactly. with these ends. Um, yeah, exactly. Welcome to summer. So do you, so going into all star, can you tell us a little bit about what to expect, but also like do you feel you have something to prove going back into the show? And like, what are you, what are you hoping to achieve? And what are some things we, you think we can expect from the show? Well, not to give too much away because I know I'm supposed to be on my best behavior, but I think this is a 
season of high emotions, feelings, drama, mm. intrigue. Like mm. in other All-Stars season, I feel like the judges introduced a lot of twists and everything to keep things interesting. But that was not necessary. There's not but one twist provided by uh, the judges because we were wild. <laughs> so just buckle up and expect something really crazy because this is not season 12 okay we are not best friends race this is mm. a whole different we are rupaul's at arm's length race at best Ooh. and it's Ooh. gonna be really interesting to watch <laughs> wow I, I was actually gonna ask about that because you mentioned sort of the the heartwarming tales of drag motherhood but I was going to ask if there's ever, you know, bad blood behind oh, the yes. scenes. But I guess, w- I guess we'll see some of that. A drag family is like a real family. You resent them. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> a drag sister is like a real sister. It's all about competition and sublimated bitterness. Um, yes. But yeah, it's like, so there's a lot of wonderful things to celebrate. But let's not forget to celebrate drama, which is definitely going to mm. be a part of it. But for me, I think individually what I brought was just the joy of drag and I showed myself being so miserable and a perfectionist in season 10 Mm -hmm. and I wanted to come onto All Stars and show people like hey just so you know I actually enjoy drag too and this is what that looks like. So I know you have a very very good RuPaul impression you know (laughs) could you please tell us something about this season in that voice oh and ladies one more thing (laughs) So if I have good. to summarize, it's so to summarize, good. Yeah, that's the phrase that I would use to summarize this season because it's just like every time you think it's done, there's one more thing: Monet exchange. <laughs> just like, yeah, I love the room voice. The key to the room voice is to breathe out twice as much as you need to mm-hmm. uh, while talking. That's the whole. Okay, that beautiful Marilyn Monroe breathiness. I enjoy it so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. This is great. We can't wait to see what happens. Now I'm I'm even more intrigued about the drama. (laughs) Just listening to myself talk. I can't wait to watch myself. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for having me. And uh, before I go, I do want to say just one thing, which is that drag is activism. And we queens use drag to draw attention to important issues so when you are watching all stars i promise you this it's not just a frivolous escape a lot of these girls are going to talk about issues that are very important to america right now directly so it is a form of protest and get in there and watch it and join in because it's time So we're going to go back, way back, to an old segment we used to do on the old We Here podcast called The Vault and bring you a story from the days of yesteryear. Feeling the <laughs> s- <laughs> it's me, the Prairie Home Companion. I love it. Of the old podcast. 75 years. Maggie, I love the way when you say the old segment on the old podcast, I thought you were going to use the term the old wazoo. Well, we might need to use that term when I tell you what the story is about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Whose old wazoo is it? What, what 
is an old wazoo. Define that before I get myself in trouble. Oh, Jamil is giving us a move on. Our producer has a worried look. I'll tell you about the old wazoo after. I have a theory, I think, of what the derivation of the term is. Okay, August 31st, 2009, the headline, Pam, still part of the crew. Pamela Anderson divorced Tommy Lee, but the busty babe still supports the father of her children. Anderson showed up Thursday night at Motley Crue's gig at the Forum in Los Angeles wearing skin-tight jeans, pink stilettos, and huge sunglasses, our spy said. Pam was drinking beer and going wild. Lee appreciated the effort and started screaming into the crowd for Anderson, but he couldn't persuade her to go to the band's after party, so he consoled himself with several strippers. What an item. What a See, surprise. to me, th- this, is, this is what I was talking about. This is what, this is a very summary item to me. That's what I think of when I think of summer. Pamela Anderson, Baywatch. Divorce. Motley Crue, The Sunset Strip, divorces, tight fitting clothes. <laughs> this, this item also makes me think of, this is Pamela Anderson in her proper milieu, right? I just feel like the stories, I mean, who would have thought back then if I could look into a crystal ball and say, you know, there are going to be rumors that Pamela Anderson is dating Julian Assange mm. and then she's going to like briefly get married or maybe not to her ex, John Peters, the famous producer who became sort of a recluse. And then that marriage is going to end. Well, this actually would sound like like a good prediction that she would yeah. be in, in another in a in a short lived marriage short-lived Hollywood marriage. This is reminding me of a vault about my own life. Another summertime moment. When I first graduated from college, I was living in Astoria, Queens. It was the summer of 2007. I was not yet working as a celebrity journalist. I was interning for David LaChapelle's archivist working in Chelsea. And I was waitressing at a Greek restaurant in Queens to pay my rent and to make ends meet. And you know, when you work in restaurants, chefs can be very temperamental people. You know, they're always like kind of barking orders, like you're too slow. This is getting cold. Oh, they want to change their order. I can't believe this. And I worked in this Greek restaurant and in an attempt to befriend the chef, we were talking and I had mentioned to him that I had worked in photography and he was like, you worked in photography. Can you help me? Like with these photos I have of Pamela Anderson, maybe you can make them bigger for me. And I befriended the chef by enlarging and reprinting a photo of Pamela Anderson. And he was so nice to me for the rest of the summer. Any food I wanted to eat, he made. He was delightful. Like Pamela Anderson bought me so much goodwill when I was 22 years old, hustling and bustling as the only American waitress in a Greek restaurant. Thank you, Pam. Maggie, this to me sounds like a... a classic summer movie and you would be played by a young Julia Roberts. It's very <laughs> mystic pizza. Yes. It was more like mystic souvlaki and <laughs> it was great. I loved that summer. I had a lot of fun. Mystic souvlaki. I think I sat next to her in third grade souvlaki. <laughs> well, 4th of July is upon us. Maybe there's a hot dog or a hamburger or a spatchcock chicken on a grill in your future, a la Ian Moore. Chicken a la Ian. Yeah. 
That's right. It's the 4th of July. It seems like it's been the 4th of July all along because they're just fireworks going off every night. But um, but here yeah, we are. I feel – and Maggie, you've gotten me completely into the summer spirit. I wasn't necessarily feeling it, but now since we've discussed Pamela Anderson, Rihanna, Suvlaki, you had me at Suvlaki. Well, that is it for this episode of We Here. Our show is produced by Jamila Zara-Williams and Melissa Caceres. We would love to hear your questions and your ideas for the show. If there are any celebrities you would like us to cover, send us an email at podcasts at nypost.com. To hear the latest We Here episodes, be sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We will be back next week with more Page 6 exclusives. See you then.